Good morning, saints. Good morning. It is indeed an honor and a privilege and a joy to be with you today. I'm going to ask everyone, if you would please just say a word of prayer with me, please. Eternal God, right now we worship you and we thank you. God, you've been so good to us. God, we thank you for the opportunity to join together. God, we've been through a, a difficult time with the pandemic, and yet we're here again, God, in your house of worship. God, bless the words that will come forth, and I pray, God, that only you would be heard, oh God. And God, touch the, and anoint the ears and the hearts of the hearers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Giving honor to God who's the head of my life. It is indeed a privilege and an honor and a blessing to be able to share with you today. My name is Reverend Harry Williams, and I'm coming to you from East Oakland, California. Anybody know where that is? <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, I want you, if you have your Bible today, I'm going to ask you to open with me to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 47. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 47. I'm going to ask you to be good Baptists today, so I'm going to say, when everybody has that, please say amen. amen. Okay, we have to work at it a little bit, but we'll get there. The scripture reads as thus, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you sick and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes in or needing clothes and clothe you? Or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in, in, or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. 
One of the most stark, frightening, sobering phrases in the English lexicon contains the two words, Judgment Day. Downtown San Francisco is, is an, an incredible tourist area. Anybody ever been down there? Powell Street in that area? People from nations all over the globe come to, to uh, let down their hair to have a good time. They come to ride the trolley cars. And I love that area because there's so much joy and it's bustling with so much energy and activity. But in, inevitably, in the midst of all that laughter and jubilation, some wild-eyed preacher waving a Bible will walk up and down to those happy tourists from Sweden and Denmark spitting out the words of fire and damnation into a megaphone. Put that cotton candy down. Wipe that smile off your face. Get on your knees right now and repent. I remember a street preacher giving his Judgment Day bombast to a group of tourists one day, and they simply did not want to hear it. He picked up that megaphone, and he looked at them, and as they were laughing at him, he cussed them out. He called them every four-letter word that I'd ever heard, and some I was, I was introduced to that day. <laughs> Forgive me, y'all, but I fell out laughing. For the street preacher, God was a God without mercy. God is an endless, raging, uh, angry person who, uh, who is so angry that when he speaks, you can hear the crackling of twigs in a fire from his voice. There is no love in the heart of the God that this man was proclaiming. God is actually that preacher's big brother who comes to straighten out the bullies who have mistreated him. Now understand that at Waypoint Church this summer, you're in the midst of a series called The Summer of Love. And Pastor Shannon has asked me to share concerning God's love of the poor. God's compassion, his love for those who have been mistreated. God's compassion and love for the unhoused people, those sleeping uh, beside your local 7-Eleven. I've been asked to speak about God's love for the children who sleep in the back of cars, shivering in the, in the dead of the night. And that's not difficult for me because I know those people. And so did Jesus. And you can tell this by the little factoids that you find in the Bible. Jesus, the Bible shares about times when Jesus carried a money bag with him. Judas held on to the money bag. And when somebody walked up to Jesus and they said, you know what, I'm about $50 short of the rent this month, Jesus. And you know what, times are hard. I've got kids I'm trying to feed. Um, can you look out for me? Jesus would look to Judas or whoever had that money bag and said, hook him up. What, how much we have in that bag? Jesus, we, there's a, a picture bes, behind me of Jesus at the Last Supper. Beautiful, this beautiful rendition. When you go back and you read that story, Judas, Jesus whispers into Judas' ear and says, tells Judas, whatever you're going to do, go out and do it quickly. But a little side point, the disciples thought that Jesus had told Judas to go do something for the poor. Because that was part of Jesus' everyday mission. That was part of, and as we say in the hood, that was part of Jesus' get down. He looked out for people who did not have anything. And in Matthew chapter 25, as Jesus, who lived among the poorest people all of his life, who shared his provisions with the impoverished, who, who um, 
for people who were the outcasts and the outsiders and people caught up in human trafficking and people who were gangsters. This Jesus who hung out with those people and embraced them looks at his disciples and he begins to tell them about what's going to happen on Judgment Day. Jesus, who often refers to himself as the Son of Man in the Scriptures, speaks of the end of the world. And on that fateful day, he said that he will be like a shepherd separating the sheep from the goats. Now, some of you all are wondering, how did he come up with this sermon? Well, you know, I often pray about what I'm going to preach about. And I go to this little chapel um, at Mills College in Oakland. They've got a little chapel there. Nobody's ever in there, and that's where I go to pray. Last week, I'm walking up to that chapel, thinking about what I'm going to pray about, and they had this flock of goats that they come to, they brought there to, to cut the grass. <laughs> and something in the back of my mind said, that's the sermon. <laughs> and so in this portion of scripture, Jesus, it says that the Son of Man gives a speech where he separates the sheep from the goat. Imagine Jesus, the Son of God, calling, looking at you, and saying that all the majesty of heaven all the greatness of, the, of the, the, the cosmos, now it's going to belong to you or you're going to share it. Come take my inheritance, he says, that I'm offering you for the, for the kingdom prepared before the creation of the world. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? What have you done that would put you in a place of such favor and reward for the almighty God? And see, this is where a lot of preachers get it wrong. See, I grew up in church. And what happens is that a lot of times we as ministers, we feed our, we take our own personal theology and we put it into the text. We take things that not, we don't, they're not really there and we put it inside of the text. I grew up in church at the time that I was knee-high to a grasshopper. And almost every pastor that I sat under from the time I was two misinterpreted this scripture. And it's really easy. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me in. I needed clothes. And you clothed me. I was sick. And you lift, looked after me. I was in Santa Rita. I was in San Quentin. And you came to visit me. And then Jesus, who has gone from referring to himself from the Son of Man and now calls himself the King, says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you have done to one of these, the least of my brothers and sisters, you have done unto me. One of the most powerful scriptures in the entire Bible. Years ago, a friend of mine was in college, working her way through college, and she landed a, a job at a local theater. And the Playhouse had a successful run about a, uh, 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 there was a play about Jesus, about the life of Jesus. And it was, the tickets were very expensive, so people would come there in minks and furs, and we, in the hood we say suited and booted. Everybody smelled like perfume or cologne. And they would sit in that chair, and as the, the story of Jesus Christ unfolded on the stage, you, tears would come to the, the eyes of the people. Some of the people who are believers and worshipers, maybe of a little more of a Pentecostal bent, would shout, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Well, intermission came. And my friend went outside with the theater goers and some of them would have a smoke a cigarette or they'd have a drink or they'd be you know just talking and whispering among themselves about how they'd been so touched so deeply spiritually by what they had seen the presentation on stage 
when I walked a, a man with a blue blanket over his shoulders, he had, he had cookie crumbs around his lips, he was unshaven, he, he was, his shoes were worn, they were, the heels were turned over. The theater goers, when he would approach these theater goers with his hand out, they would look at him in disgust and, and quickly shoo him away. Soon enough, it was time for the second half of the play to begin and the lights began to bl blink and the theater goers went back to their seats. The lights dimmed in the theater. The band struck up a tune and to their great surprise, even anger, the unhoused man had somehow snuck into the playhouse. Not only did he sneak into the playhouse, he stumbled on the stage. Folk were outraged. A murmur of displeasure rippled through the crowd as these people who had paid good money to see that play about Jesus were now looking at this ragged man on stage, stumbling around. And the ragged man walked up to the center of the stage and I believe he might have said that night. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Not, it's not necessary to tell you that the man who they looked down on in, in such scorn and derision was actually part of the play. He was an actor playing the part of Jesus. So the Jesus that they wept over, the Jesus that they loved so much, when he showed up in the form that he might have looked like in real life, people were not, as we say back home, were not feeling him. In the way... Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do to the least of these, you did not do for me. 30 minutes from here, I come from a world where some of you uh, wouldn't, wouldn't even understand it, wouldn't believe it. You know, I came up to the church, this beautiful community, thank God for it. I'm looking at a man cutting his grass across the street. I'm looking at somebody else walking their dog. And I'm saying, 30 minutes away. But this is like another planet from where I, I come from. Let me tell you a little bit about my journey. I, went, I, I felt God's call to ministry back in the 90s, and uh, I was in a church that really, really, really uh, encouraged me, taught me the things of God, and, and, and helped me to, to make my first steps forward into the ministry. And so when I went to the assistant pastor and I told her that I felt like God was calling me to the ministry, she said, you need to go to college. And so I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree. Then she said, you need a master of divinity degree. You've got to go to seminary school. I'm like, what? I, was I started college when I was 32. I'm like, what? Are you serious? I went to seminary school, and I got my master of divinity de degree, and then I ended up in a church in Modesto. And then I came to work at a small Christian college in, in, uh, in Oakland in an area called uh, Sobrante Park. And I, I walked around the neighborhood and I saw that there were freshly cut lawns and there were uh, palm trees. And people began to tell me that the neighborhood was very dangerous. And they were warning me about walking around at night. And I said, what are you talking about? I was born in New York City. 
New York City, we've got, we've got towering housing projects. When you're in the hood, you know you're in the hood. I'm like, it can't be that dangerous. But one night, I was laying in my bed, and I heard gunshots outside. Not one gunshot. I'm talking, it sounded like Fallujah at the height of the Iraq War. Boom, boom, boom. You could hear different caliber guns, people shooting back and forth at each other. I hit the floor. A few minutes later, a, a helicopter came and showing a light down in the courtyard of the apartment complex where I lived. The next morning when I got up, I walked out to the corner store to see if I could get some, some breakfast. And there somebody had set, already set up a shrine where they had Remy Martin bottles and teddy bears and candles and flowers where somebody had been murdered the night before. And I realized that I was living in a war zone, a drug war zone. And as a minister of the gospel, the Bible talks about Jesus' love for the poor, Jesus' love for the marginalized, Jesus' love for the disinherited. And so I went out to the corner where they, they were selling drugs not long after that. And I walked up to some of the young men and I said, man, tell me something. I said, let me just keep it real with you. Let me just keep it hood. I said, Somebody could walk up here with a 9mm pistol, put it up against your forehead, and say, break yourself, which means give me all your money. And if you hesitated, Dave, something bad would happen to you. I said, you could, you could make a sale to an undercover police officer. And you would, when you go away, you could go away for years. Just like that. And I said, why are you taking this tremendous risk? And I'll never forget what they said. This is about 2002. They said, this is the only way we can put pampers on our baby's bottoms. And that changed me. It changed my direction of ministry. It changed everything that I wanted to be. And I got a job after that working with people coming out of the prison system. And I did that for three years. And, and I helped them get housing, get jobs, uh, reunite with their families. And then I got a job working at Glide Memorial Church, some of you know that, in the San Francisco Tenderloin where I worked for 15 years. And now I work at a place called Homies Empowerment. And I have a little clip that I want to ask you to share. I have a video, I have a, a series that's called OG Represents. It's my podcast, and this is what, kind of the intro. So it gives you an opportunity to see the hood where I minister. So now, right now, you're back in East Oakland with me. This is Homies Empowerment where I minister. Most of us live in, in the community or around it, um, and, and uh, these are my beloved co-workers. Right now, most of them are in Puerto Rico because homies send everybody to Puerto Rico on a vacation. And so this is, this is the, the world that, that we live in. If you go to that liquor store, you have all kinds of, of cheap liquor and, and lottery tickets. All the stuff that can kill you is in there, and it's really, and, but you can't buy a piece of fresh fruit in there. You can't buy an apple or an orange, but you can buy any type of cheap alcohol up in there. So right, right now you're in, inside of East Oakland, and this is where I minister. Um, last year, uh, last year, you, you, you guys remember when it rained last year, right? The, those heavy rains? So it rained every day. Not, not just a little, not just a sprinkle. I mean, it poured down rain. And I got a phone call because we were close for the vacation. They said, we've got to go out to the community. We've got to go. And so I went on the Internet, and I begged people to give me, um, to send me blankets, to bring me uh, uh, tarps, because people were living outside in squalor that you could not believe. Can you imagine? Some of you guys were mad because you got in a car and, you know, was sprinkling outside. 
Can you imagine just for a moment what it would be like to live outside? My prayer this morning is that I could actually bring East Oakland into this room. These people live in homeless encampments where there is garbage on the ground. There are rats running around, squalor, no bathrooms, no, no fresh drinking water, no showers. And sometimes when people do bring you food, they just kind of throw it up on the ground like you're a squirrel. And the need is so great. Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. One day, Jesus is going to say that, you know, in the 21st century, there was hunger in the Bay Area. There was such a, uh, one thing that is unique about the Bay Area is that there's an income inequality gap. Because the, the poorest, most violent cities in America are places like Detroit and St. Louis. But they're very impoverished places. There's no place like the Bay Area that's as violent because it's a rich area. But the wealth has squeezed the poorest people. In Oakland, we have gentrification that pushed a lot. When, when the tech industry rose and the money came into this area, there was no place for the, for the tech workers to live. And so they went to rent in the hoods of the Bay Area. They went to the poorest communities in the Bay Area. And the rents rose. And when you see people's living in, in tents and in, in squalor and under bridges, Many of those people used to live in those areas, but they can't afford to live there anymore. One day, Jesus is going to ask us, what did we do in that time? Homies Empowerment started years ago. It started as a gang uh, intervention group. But when the pandemic came, people were hungry in East Oakland, and they came to the director, Dr. Cesar Cruz, and they said, help us. There's no food in the community. Many of the places that used to help us and provide resources had closed down. And so a young man walked into the a store, uh, a building that we used to have, and Dr. Cruz pointed out books that we had. And he goes, man, that's really cool, but I can't eat those books. And Dr. Cruz put out a word to the community. He said, I want everybody who can, has anything in your refrigerator, any extra canned goods, any, any uh, frozen stuff, bring it to the, to, those, uh, to the center. Bring it next Tuesday. And we went out, we got, we bought whatever we could, whatever extra food we had, we bought it out there and we began to hand it out to the community. Then we got a hand from the food bank. And then there were other churches like this one who helped us along the way. And soon, if you come out on Tuesday, you'll see hundreds of people lined up in front of homies in Palme. People who don't have access to fresh food. We, we have a, a, a mission that we call... Um, fishes and loaves where we go out to the community and, and we bring food to people living in encampments, people living in squalor, people who have no food. And I want to introduce you to a young girl who I met out there. Her name is Teresa. And when I looked at these young kids on that, in this pulpit, these beautiful, fresh-faced kids with so much laughter and joy, so much hope, so much hope for a future, I thought of Teresa. Teresa lives in a trailer with her parents. I believe they're, I don't know for sure, but I think they're addicted to drugs. She's about seven, eight years old. She, has, she should be in the second grade, but she hasn't been to school in two years. Her face is dirty. Her hair is matted. Uh, she has, sometimes when I see her, even in the wintertime, she walks on along the concrete and she has no shoes on her feet. 
Sometimes she has two brothers and sisters, and often she's charged with eight years old with the care of taking care of her little siblings. But she doesn't feel sorry for herself. She's not sad. In fact, when I walk up to where she's at to bring her some food or groceries or, or whatever I've got, she walks up and she throws her arms around my waist and squeezes me like this. And she says, hey, you want to see me do some cartwheels? But when I look at these little kids and I thought the opportunities that will be here for them, and in my mind I went back to East Oakland and I thought, what opportunities exist for Teresa? And some of us who have been given so much, so much, do we care enough to bridge that gap? I was hungry and you fed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you came to see me. Are you willing to close that gap? Are you willing to do for those who cannot do for themselves? Some of us say, well, you know what? We all had a chance in life. You know, everybody had, does what everybody's, it's all a matter of choice. Not really. Yesterday, I, I filmed a video. Believe it or not, I'm a rapper. And I filmed the video, I, I wanted a, a grant from the uh, Department of Violence Prevention to film a video, and it's called Everybody Wants to Be a Gangster. And so there were some young men that I met from the community, and they're all ex-hood fellas, that's what we'll call them. And they said to me, they, we want to change, we've, we've created a lot of destruction in the community, and now we want to put something back. And I'm working closely with them, and they said, uh, I said, I want you to be in the video. So if you look at the video, you'll see them in there. And I said, good. I said, they said, where are we going to make the video at? She, they, said, we, they said, we can make the video in their hood. So their hood is at 67th and Seminary. <clears throat> it's a place that people call the kill zone. And I remember meeting them here yesterday, and uh, the videos came out really powerful because it's real. And it's telling people the dangers of gun violence. And so we, fed, we shot one place, we shot one scene in a place that wasn't that dangerous. And then I said, oh, we've got to find another place because it's got to be filmed in two locations. And they said, we're going to go to 67th, and they named it Cross Street. I was like, are you sure? Are you like, because this is, are you, we're going to go deep in the kill zone. And they go, Rev, it's like Geico. You know how that Geico commercial goes, got your good hands with Geico? They said, we're like Geico. And so they took me deep into the hood where they live. And everybody knew them and they waved at everybody and it was just like I was as safe as, as if I had been a great, great America. But when I looked at these young men and some of the choices they had made, they grew up in, place, in a place where drugs were everywhere around them, where the educational system had failed them, where, the, where, the, uh, where the, there was no mental health care, where there weren't resources. And you could say, yes, they deserve everything that happened to them. But if they had been born, born here in San Mateo, do you know what they might have, do you know what might have happened for them? So, you know, it's one thing to feel bad. It's another thing to do something. When things got bad for homies in Palm, and somebody stole one of our vehicles, and it got in the news, and we got a phone call. And the phone call came from Mr. Steph Curry. Number 30. And he said, I want you to meet me somewhere. And he, so, so, so Steph Curry put out the word for us to meet him, meet some of our leaders somewhere. And he showed up and he said, and you can find this on the internet. He goes, I understand that they stole your van, the, what you carry the food in. And they said, yeah. 
He said, I got you. He goes, I want you to go down to the car dealership and pick out a brand new vehicle. Pick out any one that you want and take it back to East Oakland with you. You see, Steph Curry, instead of just feeling bad, he said, what can I do to close the gap? How can I use what I've been given, a little bit of what I've been given, to help people who don't have anything? When the pandemic struck really hard and there were people starving in the streets of Oakland, Steph Curry again, he and his wife started an organization called Eat, Learn, Play. And Steph Curry sent food. You don't see it in the news. It's not televised. He sent food all over the hoods of Oakland every day. Millions of dollars worth of food. Because he said, you know what, I've been given something. And I'm going to give something back. Friends, we are co-laborers with God. One day he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? Are you willing to close that gap? When you leave here, are you going to be thinking about the people who need it, looking for ways to help them? I know that your church has some ways to do that. And I know that some of your church has been uh, instrumental in helping homies empowerment where we are. We have a big refrigerator in the front. It's tw 24 hours a day, it's on. And so we put food in there, and community members put food in there, and people who are hungry come and get the food. And so it's, it's kind of a, a, it's a community, we call it solidarity, not charity. Somebody put a bullet in that refrigerator in a shootout, and the refrigerator went out. And so now the people who used to go up to that refrigerator, look at it, and there's no food for them. Wouldn't cost a lot to replace that refrigerator. Some of you could probably do it. I'm going to ask you today to be a co-laborer with Jesus Christ. I want you to move from, we live in a world where religion is about comfort. You want to have a million people, you want to have 100,000 people sitting in an astrodome on a Sunday morning? Tell them how God is going to bless them. They'll never have any problems. You know, just tell them good stuff. You tell people to share. You won't, they won't, you, nothing's going to happen in the Astrodome. <laughs> so, friends, I'm getting ready to close in prayer. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your time, for listening. Thank you for hearing this voice from East Oakland. But what I'm asking you for is, even if it's not East Oakland, even if it's San East Palo Alto, even if it's Richmond, it could, even, there might be something that you find on the other side of the world in Syria where they need help. Please, use some of the blessing that God has given you to close the gap. Will you think about that? Close your eyes with me for a minute, please. Eternal God, right now we worship you and we thank you. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share with these beautiful people in this beautiful church. God, you have blessed us so richly. God, we're praying that you would touch our hearts, God, to, that we will just not hear a sermon and look, walk outside, but we will start thinking about how we can close the gap. Because one day we will answer for what we did for the people who had so little. God, use, use, let us have creativity and generosity. In Jesus' name, God. Amen.